this morning, uh, this lesson this morning is going to come full circle. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, on March 7th, 2021, that was my first sermon here that, that morning. And I preached a lesson called What I Learned at Preaching School. Now, you probably don't remember that since it was so long ago. Maybe you do. But, but there were 96 in attendance that morning. That's what we had on the board. I kept record of that. And I know uh, that was during the whole COVID time. And so maybe you weren't here that morning because you had to stay home or whatnot. Or maybe you just weren't a member at this congregation at that point. So maybe, again, maybe you don't remember this lesson. But I was nervous. And I'm sure you were nervous for me as well that morning. Well, this morning, December 31st, 2023, almost three years later, the lesson that I'm prepared this morning is what I learned from the pulpit. And what I want to do this morning is I want to reiterate those three points that I made some three years ago, but with a different perspective. And so, you know, they often say that you only retain 10% of what you hear. You know, so again, uh, you probably don't remember those three points. You know, I probably wouldn't have mentioned that and you probably would, I probably would have gotten away with that, right? That I'm sort of recycling a sermon. But again, uh, we're going to take a fresh look, a different look at this. And friends, I'm still just as nervous this morning. Uh, maybe just in a little bit of a different way. But as we begin our lesson this morning, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. That's where we're going to begin, uh, the, where we're going to kick off this morning in Nehemiah chapter 8. But, you know, there are some things that we associate with individuals, you know, right off the bat. You know, you see that doctor and you see that stethoscope and, you know, again, immediately that that person's a doctor. Or maybe you see a badge and, you know, that uh, that must be a police officer. Right. Well, well, what about a pulpit? You know, a pulpit and a preacher. Right. Those go uh, just together, just as peanut butter and jelly. And pulpits, we know, come in a wide range of shapes, shapes and sizes and colors and I kind of like this pulpit. You know, it's a big pulpit. It's sturdy. Uh, it, it, I feel safe behind it. But I also know that there's some disadvantages with it, right? It's, it's big. So, you know, if we have a baptism, uh, people in the front, you really can't see, can you? Some people like smaller pulpits. Maybe something like this one here up on the board, right? I know bro- Brother Wes, you know, he, he, he likes to move around, right? He doesn't like to be chained to the pulpit and uh, ministers have their quirks that way. I, I like to be stationary. He doesn't. And maybe he would like a, maybe a smaller pulpit, right? But I, but I enjoy this pulpit. Do you know the Bible mentions the pulpit once? Do you, do you know that we, we get the idea of a pulpit at least once in scripture? Now the, the word pulpit is not used specifically, but, but we're going to see here in Nehemiah chapter eight that, that, the idea of one is mentioned. You know, the book of Nehemiah, of course, uh, the, the children of Israel has, are coming out of that 70 years of captivity in Babylon. Right? They've been in captivity for 70 years. Some of them have stayed in the land of their captors, but many of them are heading back to Jerusalem. They're going back. They're, they're, they're building the temple back up. They're building the walls of Jerusalem back up. More specifically, though, is that they're getting their religion back together. Right? They, they want to begin to, to worship God the way that they used to. Well, we come to Nehemiah chapter 8, and that's what's happening here. Let's begin here in verse 1. It says, And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. And then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. 
He read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for the purpose. And then drop down to verse 5. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. A couple things I want you to notice from that passage. Number one, the people demanded to hear God's word. They demanded to hear God's word preached. It wasn't the priest saying, listen, you need to hear this. But it was the people saying, we want to hear God's word. Tell us. And so we're told that everyone, man, women, children, everyone who could understand, they were listening intently as Ezra preached from early morning until midday, maybe four, five, six hours that he was preaching. And it says Ezra stood on a wooden podium or a wooden platform, maybe your translation. Well, why? Well, it wasn't to elevate himself, but it was to elevate the word of God. The people stood up, it says, because of the respect and awe they had for God's word as it was being preached. Whatever happened to that podium? Whatever happened to that pulpit? Was it ever used again? We don't know. But again, that's where that idea of the pulpit came from. And so as I stand here, right, for, for maybe one last time in this pulpit, I'm reminded of the awesome responsibility that God has given to those individuals. And the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter reminds us, well, you know, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God, the oracles of God. He's supposed to speak the Bible. And uh, Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. And then he says in chapter 2, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So again, as, we, as I come full circle in this lesson here this morning, I wonder, what are some things that I've learned from the pulpit and again, these, these, uh, these points are going to be the same uh, as they were three years ago. So number one, the first point we want to notice here this morning is that we will never, ever exhaust God's word. If you're still in Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, notice again, let, let's start in verse 5. Again, we read this, but notice here it says, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And then Ezra blessed the Lord the great God and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands, and they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. In verse 8, they read from the book from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Friends, when you read Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1 through 8, you get a great outline, a great biblical outline to how we are to treat God's word. And the main point that I want to make this morning is that God's word ought to be an open book. Do you remember the story of King Josiah in 2 Kings chapter 22? The the high priest, remember, he comes to the scribe and says, hey, we found the book of the law in the house of God. Well, what were the implications there? Well, number one, they had lost the the, uh, the book of the law. They had lost their Bible, so to speak. But number two, they had lost it in God's house. How do you lose God's book in God's house. But now we recall what happens, right? They found the book. They opened it up. They started reading. Uh, they understood that some of the things they weren't doing, they weren't doing correctly. And so they repented of those things and they started to pay attention and obey to God's word. Well, Friends, there are times when we can lose God's book in God's house as well. Right? There are times where maybe we're studying the Bible or we're having Bible studies, but 
the Bible's not open. Right? We're relying maybe on study books or study helps. Or, or, or instead of going to the, uh, the, the, a passage in the Bible to say, what does God say? We'll, we'll say, well, I think or I feel this way. And friends, again, sometimes we can, uh, we can lose God's book and God's house. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18, when Moses is saying, listen, there's going to be a time when you're going to ask for a king and God is going to give you a king over your people. And he gives them a whole list of things that the king ought to do. One of those things he says is that the king is to write a copy of the law for himself. Well, wait a second. This is the king of Israel. I mean, doesn't, doesn't God know that he's a busy man, that he's protecting this, this nation, that he's got things to do? But God said, listen, you are to write my law, right? And we're not talking about, you know, first, second, third, John and Jude, like these little, these little letters. We're talking about the Pentateuch. We're talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the, the law, right? The king was to sit down in his own hand and write out a copy, right? Because God's saying, listen, if you're going to lead my people, I want you to know my word. Not just maybe a specific passage or two that you really like, but I want you to write it all. Because I want you to know all of it, right? Because God's book is an open book. This here in my hand is an ordinary pew Bible. Maybe cost $5, not too much. But this Bible has become a weekly routine of mine since I began here. And every, after every lesson, you know, on Monday morning, I would sit down in my study and I would review the, the sermon that I preached the day before. And as I would go through this book... I would highlight in this book, in yellow, every passage that I read, every passage that I might have referenced. And so, you know, you can take a look at this book after the, the lesson this morning if you'd like. But as I reflect on this, you know, and I have Acts 20 verse 27 written on the front of this to remind me to preach the whole counsel of God. But, but when I reflect on this, when I look back through this, I see a whole lot of white space in here, a whole lot of white space. Well, why? Because God's book can never be exhausted. Right? There are psalms that you and I have not studied together. There are maybe some books in the Old Testament like Leviticus or Deuteronomy that we just never had the chance to go into with one another. And the idea that I'm trying to, to preach to you this morning is that we can never exhaust God's word. We've got to keep at it. We've got to stick to studying that. Right? As Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, we are to desire the pure milk of the word. Right? Keep giving it to me because I need it. And when we have that open book, when, when that book is open before us, it produces a respect for God like no other. We see that here in Nehemiah chapter 8. Right? The more the Bible is open in our lives, the more we fall in love with God. Did you notice sort of those action verbs as we were reading through Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, of the people there, it told us that they were listening intently. It told us that they were bowing down. They were standing up. They were lifting up hands. They were worshiping. They were you know, saying, amen, amen. The scriptures moved them to action. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, reminds us that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word is not dead. God's word is alive, and if you allow it to change your life, it'll change your life for the better. Psalm 119, verse 160 reminds us, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. 
And that word sum, it's not S-O-M-E, like some of your word is truth, but it's S-U-M, the sum totality, the, the sum of your word, a mathematical term. The sum of your word is truth. Every single word is truth. And so this morning, if I, you know, or any preacher who, who stands in this pulpit hasn't inspired you to become a better Bible teacher, then we failed. We failed at our job. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 where, where, where Paul tells Timothy to be approved, to be a workman, accurately handling the word, approve, uh, the word of God. Is that us? Do you and I want to be approved by God one day? And so from the pulpit, here, here's the first point that I want to, again, reiterate. Is that I learned that we have to keep at it. Proverbs 26 verse 12 says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Right? If our attitude this morning is, I know what I need to know, and I don't need to grow any further, I don't need Bible class, I don't need to come back on evening worship uh, because of, to, to hear the, another message because I'm good, right? what are we telling God? What are we telling Him on the day of judgment? He said, I gave you my very words. I gave you my words, I gave you many years to read it, to study it, to apply it, but you just weren't interested Friends, we will never exhaust God's word. And that's the first point that I want to remind us here this morning. And then number two, we will always need our brethren. From the pulpit, I learned that we will always need our brethren. Psalm 133, verse 1, that Tyler read for us. How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. What is that verse saying? How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Well, friends, there are some things that are good but they're just not pleasant, are they? Do we like shots? Do we like injections? We don't. They're good for us, but they're not pleasant. There are some things in this life that are pleasant, but not good. Do you love chocolate? Do you love uh, maybe a, uh, you know, a slice of chocolate pie? Again, that's pleasant for you, but maybe it's not so much good for you. <clears throat> the psalmist said here in this verse that fellowship, that unity with your brethren... Is not only good, but it's pleasant. It's both of those things. How many could react to this statement? You know, how many of you could say this? You know, I wouldn't be here if it were not for the encouragement and support of, and then fill in the blank. You think of that individual. I think every single one of us would raise our hands this morning and say, yes, there has been that person in my life that encouraged me, that, that supported me, that got me where I am today. You know, if you were told me 10 years ago that I'd be standing in a pulpit preaching to a congregation, I would have told you, you know, I was crazy or that you were crazy for saying that. But it was because of the encouragement. It was because of the support of the brethren that got me to, to this point in my life. And really, anyone who has said a public prayer, anyone who has served on, on the table, anyone who has given a devotional, they could have said the same thing. Right? As someone in their life encouraged them to do that, supported them to do that. That's why Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, that we are to encourage one another and build one another up. The Hebrews writer understood this as well. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. I know we read this passage a couple of a weeks ago. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, of course, as I mentioned then, that, that this is sort of that what preachers will call the, the salad sermon. Right, or the garden passages, because you're going to hear him say over and over, let us, let us, let us. And so we notice here in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19, notice the Hebrews writer writes, 
Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, Paul, again, he, he or excuse me, well, if Paul wrote this, but, but we don't know, but the Hebrews writer says, you know, over and over again, let us, let us, he's urging, he, he's inciting us to action. Let us draw near, let us hold fast the confession. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Friends, that's why we assemble. That's why we come together to worship and to stir up one another. And did you notice in those passages, all of the one another's that, that he mentioned, right? When you come, you one another this with one another. I know Wes is going to be preaching on that this evening, about being uh, or one anothering one another. And there are so many in that passage. That's why we come together, to encourage one another. Uh, do you ever feel off when you've missed a service? Or maybe you've been on vacation or you're sick and you missed maybe a whole week of service, a whole week being around the brethren? You know, again, I think back to prior to coming here when, you know, COVID was sort of in full swing and we were living in Cookville for about seven months. And, you know, we were new in town and we looking for a church to, to worship with. And again, this was during COVID. Everyone's wearing masks. You know, fellowship activities had ceased. Uh, you know, we, we went to, to one church pretty much for, you know, five, six months and we never really met anybody. We never had an elder come up to us and say, Thanks for being here. Would you like to maybe become a member of this congregation? Right? Because everyone was so afraid to fellowship. Everyone was so afraid to come in contact, to shake hands because of what was going on. It was a dark time. It hurt. It felt weird. The bottom line is, is when we are not around, we can't encourage one another. And they can't encourage us. We need to be stirred up. We need to be provoked to love and good deeds. We need to be sharpening one another, right? Proverbs 27, verse 17, iron sharpens iron, right? If you're not here sharpening me, I can't be sharpened and I can't sharpen you. Fellowship, the, the psalmist says, is good and pleasant, right? It's not just good. It's not just pleasant, but it's good and pleasant and we crave it. You know, I've been pretty impressed over the past couple of weeks. I think this is pretty new what the, the, the teens are doing, or what they call Hive, right? Where they get to the building here on Wednesday nights about 6 o'clock, you know, and they, they go and do their thing there. But you know, the thing that I'm really more impressed with are the adults that are coming at 6 o'clock, right? Uh, the grandparents, the parents who are coming at 6 o'clock and, and they're, you know, in here and they're fellowshipping with one another. They're talking, they're sharing their lives with one another. And, and that's so great, that's so great because, again, that's the idea, right? That we come together and, we, and we're stirring one another to these things. Matter of fact, we had a young man who came this Wednesday. Maybe you had a chance to meet him. And he sat up here in, the, in this corner and, you know, I, I started talking to him and uh, tried to, you know, get to know him a little bit. And he, he specifically told me that, you know, he, he was going around to churches in, in Adair County looking for a church home, looking for the truth. And the reason why he stopped that night was because, and he was here at 6 o'clock. The reason why he stopped, because the lights were on. 
because he saw people here and he wanted to know more about this church and that attracted him here. And I don't know if he'll come back. Hopefully he will. But friends, that, that's what it means. We need our brethren. We need to be together. We need to be provoking and stirring up. And it's not just in the assembly where that needs to happen. Right? In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, the early church, we're told day by day, with one mind, we're continuing uh, having meals together. Again, day by day, not just on Wednesdays, not just on Sundays, but every day they were fellowshipping with one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 13 tells us Christians must practice hospitality. They must practice hospitality. I know that word hospitality in the original language means a lover of strangers. Right? Someone comes into town and they need a place to stay and you host them. Right? That's the idea of hospitality in biblical terms. But friends, we need to be hospitable to the brethren. Right? Inviting them into our homes, going out to eat with them, getting to know them outside of this building. We need the brethren. We need that for our walk. And again, there's the second point that I preached three years ago, and it's the second point I'm going to preach today, is that we will always need our brethren. Finally, the last point this morning, and again, I don't know if you remember this or not, but the last point is is that we will continue. This is what I've learned from the pulpit. We will continue to preach to a lost and dying world. Again, I go back to the, the example of that young man. I have been amazed in the month of December alone of the number of individuals who have come in off the streets that we really don't know who have said, I'm searching. I'm looking for the truth. I'm looking for a church home. I'm trying out these different churches. There's been at least three or four you know, young people that, that, that have done this in the month of December alone. And that's exciting. But friends, when, when the world's getting darker and darker, the church must shine brighter and brighter and brighter. Right? We understand that since Adam and Eve, the sin has entered into the world. And because of that, uh, we, we at some point in our lives choose to sin because we live in this broken world. And all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And that sin separates us from our Heavenly Father. So what do we need? We need to be reconciled to Him. We need a way back to Him. We need a Savior. And God loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son in human flesh, to be that sacrifice, to be that propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is just a, a fancy word of saying to be that atoning sacrifice, right? To pay that ransom for us, to be that satisfaction of divine judgment. Because when you and I sin, we deserve death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. And we needed a way to be reconciled back to God. And that was Jesus. Jesus, who willingly sacrificed himself, to gave himself in his blood, right? in his death, is that means by which our sins can be forgiven. How we can be reconciled to him through baptism. As we contact the, the, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, contacting that blood. Friends, it is a great thing that people are seeking today. But are we capitalizing on that? Are we capitalizing on that? You know, some might say, well, oh, that's, that's the preacher's job, right? That, that's Michael and Wes's job to, you know, to, to talk to those new people and to get them to start coming back and forth. That's why, you know, that's why we employ them, right? Turn with me to James chapter 2 real quickly. I'm going to make a point here in James chapter 2. Because, friends, we need to be ready for visitors. We need to be ready for those who are searching for the truth and, be, and to be ready to show them that attention that they're looking for. In James chapter 2, 
Uh, notice as James, uh, and I want you to notice, he, he's not writing to a preacher. He's not writing to uh, church leadership. He's writing to every Christian for all time. And he says in James chapter 2, starting in verse 1, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? And notice again in that verse 4, he says, have you, you not made distinctions among yourselves? Again, he's talking to the church. He's talking to the Christians there. Right? Friends, we can't leave that to one segment of the church. Or people are going to fall through the cracks. People are going to be missed. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. You know, Paul says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Right? Are you a spiritual person this morning? I hope we'd all say, yeah. I want to be a spiritual person. I am a spiritual person. Well, then it's our obligation to reach out to those who are lost. Right? Jesus came, right? Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And if that was his, uh, that was his determination, what about us? As those who are to be uh, copying ourselves after Jesus. Right? The lost are dying every day. I'm reminded of uh, some words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 23 and Luke 19, I want to read these passages. Just, just listen to uh, how Jesus is reacting here as he's thinking about Jerusalem, as he's thinking about the, the people uh, of Israel. Here in Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 37, Jesus, he's lamenting over Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I want to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. And in Luke chapter 19, again, notice Jesus, starting in verse 41. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, and he wept over it. He wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Did you notice the emotion as Jesus was speaking about those about his brothers and sisters, about the Jewish nation who wouldn't repent, who wouldn't believe in him, who wouldn't come to him. He was weeping. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. They were spiritually blind to the fact that Jesus was the Christ. They were lost. Do we, church, do we have that same reaction when we look at the lost around us? Do we cry over lost souls? Or do we simply shrug our shoulders and go on their way, saying, well, I tried, or it's on them now. There was a preacher who was sitting in his study one Sunday morning, you know, preparing for his lesson, and he was deep in thought, and, well, it was time to start worship, and so somebody went on his door and knocked and came in and said, hey, it's, you know, it's time to start. What's, what's the holdup? And he noticed that the, the preacher was looking out his window. They were up on this giant hill, could see thousands of homes below, and the, the man noticed that the preacher was weeping. 
He was crying. And the man asked him, well, what's wrong? Why are you crying? And the preacher said, I'm sitting here looking out over this valley. I see thousands of homes and people going about their business this Sunday morning, and most of them are lost, and I just can't do anything about it. The man looked at the preacher knowing that we got to start services and said, quit crying. You'll get over it. And the preacher looked at that man and said, I know. That's why I'm crying. Friends, the church has an obligation to win souls. Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 4, that it's time to get to work. Right? Night is coming when no man can work. We've got to work while it's still light. Once we no longer are weeping, crying, saddened about the lost souls around us, of this community, of this world, what use are we to Jesus? We have good news. We have such great news that it's amazing that some of us don't want to share that great news. You know, on Facebook the other day, and I don't know, you may have saw, saw this. It was a couple of days ago, but I saw it from a lot of different perspectives. A lot of people were posting about this, but there was a, a man in a cancer hospital in Columbus, Ohio, and he was dying. He, he was on his deathbed. And again, I don't know all the details of this account, but uh, whether a preacher went and talked to him or if it was the family, but he wanted to obey the gospel. Again, he was in his 90s. He, he couldn't get up. He, he was on his deathbed, but he wanted to obey the gospel. Well, the preacher was working with the administration there for 24 hours. They wouldn't let them do that. They wouldn't let them uh, move him or to immerse him, have him be baptized because, of course, they're, they're, they're thinking about his physical life, right? They want to preserve his physical life. There was even a chaplain involved, and he didn't want to help in this process as well. And it took 24 hours until the hospital finally let the family immerse him, the, the wish that the man had to become a Christian. The preacher, he bought in this inflatable pool that, you know, during the dead of winter, he found on Marketplace, right? They, they blew it up in the, hotel, or in the hospital room. It's just crammed right in there. If you, ever, if you see the picture of it, they filled it up with water and they immersed that man for the forgiveness of his sins. He had his sins washed, his way, washed away in baptism. And friends, he died two hours later. He went to be with his Savior. Church, when is the last time we have gone to great lengths to bring one to Christ? When is the last time that you brought an inflatable pool into a hospital? When is the last time that you drove thousands of miles from one state to another to, to preach the gospel to someone? When is the last time that you've you know, talked to someone about their soul? Or are we like that man who went into his preacher's study and said, get over it? This morning... Again, this may be my last sermon uh, in this pulpit, but it's certainly not going to be the last sermon preached. What are you doing with the words spoken each Lord's Day? Are you allowing them to shape your life? Are you allowing them to mold you? Are you allowing them to make you into that image bearer of Christ, motivating you to greatest service in the kingdom? Or is it the complete opposite as we read in, in Nehemiah chapter 8? Again, the people, when they, they demanded to hear God's word, when they heard God's word, they wanted the book open. They were listening attentively four to six hours. They, they were raising their hands. They were bowing to the ground. They were excited to hear God's word. Is that you and I? Friends, I am reminded, uh, again, as we bring this lesson full circle from the pulpit, I've learned these things. 
And I wanted to share them with you one last time. Friends, God's word will never be exhausted. We, we've got to keep God's book open. We've got to keep digging into it. Again, we might know the basics. We might know the fundamentals. But there are still truths to be mined from God's word. Friends, we need our brethren. We need our brethren to bear our burdens. We need to bear the burdens of our brethren. Keep doing that. And then finally, we need to keep our eyes open for the lost. Again, living our lives each day knowing that we might be the only Bible that person ever comes into contact with. We might be the only person that has a chance to preach to them the gospel. We need to keep those glasses on, right? those, those soul-focused glasses as we go out into the community, as we speak with our friends and family, because we have to continue to preach to a lost and dying world. And I know whoever you know, fills in this place, as Wes uh, does this as well, uh, you're going to find a man who's going to continue to do that. And we continue to pray that, that, that God's word will be preached from this pulpit and this morning as we offer an invitation this morning. Uh, maybe you're here with us this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel. Maybe you don't realize you know, how much time could be left. We're not promised tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. And if you've never been immersed for the forgiveness of your sins, baptized to have your sins washed away, we implore you to think about that this morning. You know, maybe you don't want to do it in front of a crowd, and we get that. And maybe you'd want to take care of that in a more private matter. But friends, don't let today pass before making that decision. Or this morning, maybe you need the prayers of this congregation. Maybe you need the encouragement that the brethren here, how good and how pleasant it is that to have your brethren here to comfort you at this time. We would love nothing more to pray for you, to give you that encouragement this morning as together we stand and sing the song of encouragement.